Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Country music has a very conservative reputation, but over the years, the genre has been used to express some rather liberal thoughts. Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, a professor of English, has compiled some essays on the subject in The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, published by University of Massachusetts Press. In addition to editing the essays, Jackson wrote one himself, as did Center for Popular Music director Greg Reich. We'll take a musical turn to the left after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. While the world's watching Jordan Peele's newest creation, Us, from behind splayed fingers and popcorn boxes, MTSU junior Philip Mayberry will be savoring the feeling of seeing his own art in one of the film's trailers. Mayberry, a graphic design major from Union City, Tennessee, who now lives in Nashville, was one of thousands of fans around the world who answered an ongoing challenge via Chocolate City Comics, Instagram, and Universal Studios to create artwork inspired by the new horror movie. The result is a photorealistic image of Oscar-winning actor Lupita Yongo's dual roles in Us, a split-screen treatment that's as beautiful and puzzling and horrifying as the characters. Home prices in Tennessee continued rising in the fourth quarter of 2018 while construction permits were down from the previous quarter. This according to the latest quarterly housing report from the MTSU Business and Economic Research Center. But total permits were up year over year and overall trends indicate, quote, a stable economy, noted Center Director Murat Arik. Uh, author of the report. The quarterly report offers an overview of the state's economy as it relates to the housing market and includes data on employment, housing construction, rental vacancy rates, real estate transactions, and mortgages, home sales and prices, delinquencies, and foreclosures. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Mark, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Several politicians have tried to co-opt country music and its stars over the years to suit their own agendas. How successful have they been? Well, I think it, to various levels. It's, it's oftentimes kind of a tool to connect um, to a, a particular kind of body of voters. And so we see that um, in a lot of kind of southern elections or elections where there's a push for kind of a, a rule vote or sometimes more uh, working class, uh, sometimes that centers around kind of what the idea of country is or who its audience has been. And so that's just one tool that politicians have used, but you kind of see them doing it over and over again. Mm -hmm. I think especially since uh, Richard Nixon kind of made country his music in a way, in a public fashion, uh, he made uh, October Country Music Month he went to the Grand Ole Opry, and um, there was, I think, some level to connect to the southern working class rural voters, part of that southern strategy that uh, historians, uh, political scientists often kind of reference, an idea of how to change a Republican par Party's kind of voter base, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And since Nixon, every Republican um, party's 
candidate, Victor, has drawn country music in in some fashion or the other. Hmm. When it comes to country music and politics, I think uh, at least uh, young people uh, refer most frequently to Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks when she said that she was ashamed President George W. Bush was from their home state of Texas. Uh, the blowback against them was palpable, and it had an impact on their career. Uh, how are they doing these days? Have they rebounded? Well, I wouldn't say that. I think that they've gone in a variety of different directions. Uh, they're still making music, sometimes together, oftentimes apart. But the kind of idea of what happened to them, I mean, they were still successful after the, the blowback. Uh, they had uh, a Grammy-winning album. They sold out uh, arenas. They still made a lot of money, but in some ways their audience changed to some degree. Not completely, though, and I think that it's sometimes overstated. But since they were riding so high, uh, any fall is, is going to be noticeable. Mm-hmm. And with death threats and then also the Performers themselves had gone, had been together for a while, had kind of gone older, had children, going through you know divorces, life. Uh, I think that also kind of changed them in a way. And then also having kind of so much negative media attention, again death threats, mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe kind of recognizing what's important to them. I think a lot of factors kind of changed them. However, I will say this: a lot of people kind of have turned them into kind of like a phrase or a, almost like a threat, getting Dixie chicked. Yeah. That is a phrase I see a lot in uh, music writers. And I understand that a number of people just up the road in Nashville oftentimes kind of consider their political positions in part based on what happened to them, but also probably just kind of an awareness of their audience in some sense, but also fear of alienating some portion of it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of liberal listeners of country music. It, it's it's not monolithic. Mm-hmm. There's a range of people. However, there's a, a nice hunk that you could kind of put in a mm-hmm. conservative category. So I saw this interview with Willie Nelson on Fox News not too long ago, and he was kind of asked about his political position, and he kind of went, well, you know, you don't want to do too much. And he, he didn't want to say very much about it, kind of hemmed and hawed and mm-hmm. said, you don't want to alienate listeners. That's not what my goal is, et cetera. But he did eventually come out for Beto O'Rourke mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, Senate race. But the, it took – I mean, he was not immediately on board with that. I mean, I, th- I think maybe he was, but not publicly. But and, he has been outspoken about the legalization of marijuana, which oh, yeah. he certainly supports. He's got his own brand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was sm- – he, he had some on the show, but he was, <laughs> he was kind of hawking his product, and that's very much a country music tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's pretty normal, though I don't think pushing marijuana mm-hmm. as like your product ha- has been quite the norm. But I think he also recognizes that there's some danger. We saw that in the late 60s, early 70s with Johnny Cash when he was very much kind of became outspoken kind of politically on some issues, uh, prisoners' rights, Native American rights, started talking about the Vietnam War, and there was some backlash. I think that also caused him to be 
a little more wary of coming out to the press about his political position. I was going to bring that up just now because I remember watching the Johnny Cash show on ABC when I was a a youngster. He featured many contemporary artists, including Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Linda Ronstadt, Neil Young, and others whose politics were that of the liberal counterculture. And I don't know whether he did it to help uh, them get across a political point of view or just because he loved and respected their their music as a, as a fellow artist. But how did audiences react to that? He got some attention, but the show didn't last too long. Right, about three seasons, I think. Yeah, I think that there was some acceptance of that, but also it was a it was a very much kind of a political era. I mean, some eras seem more political than others, especially when it's centered around war or some sort of like some larger threat, economic turmoil. A number of factors can cause people's uh, emotional kind of uh, registers to kind of flicker up and down, and it can be kind of a, a, a difficult kind of position as an entertainer because that's Johnny Cash, that's this first thing. He was an entertainer. I think that that's also true. When we look at almost every single person discussed in this book or most country, you know, performers as a whole, they they weren't running for office. A few have, mm. right? But for the most part, they wanted to be musicians and they wanted to play their songs and they wanted to express themselves on a variety of issues, love, hate, divorce, uncertainty, God. Mm-hmm. But some of them also wanted to say, make some political comments, whether it's uh, to the right or the left or the center, whatever it happened to be, some very pointed, some kind of hazy. And so I think Johnny Cash's goal wasn't to be a political commentator, but he kind of got drawn into that. And so, yeah, I think he liked some of those musicians, liked their sound, liked some of their positions, That didn't mean he had to agree with all of them, Mm -hmm. uh, but that he had respect for them and that that wasn't about their party line. It was about them as an artist. Because he didn't have to invite any of those people onto his show. He could have stuck to traditional country music artists of the time like Conway Twitty uh, and just invited them onto the show, just stuck to Grand Ole Opry stars. He didn't have to be as expansive as he was with his guest list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was absolutely his choice. But I don't think it was necessarily like, I want to be politically on edge. I think it was more like, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And maybe at some level, it was a, the, the, again, the Times might have suggested that this might be an interesting move. But that also kind of comes sometimes with a, a backlash. People saying, well, that's not who I imagine you to be. Or I didn't agree with the person you had on, and thus I'm going to cause you to suffer as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And so he did get uh, pushback. Mm-hmm. Uh, on some of the positions he took, on some people that he was spending time with. He always seemed relevant to me, but I think for some people that he didn't seem like what country was doing at the time, and so he doesn't get radio play. And Mm -hmm. radio play is so important right now for country music stars. And I think I see some of them also kind of looking back at Lessons to Nani the Dixie Chicks by other people who had been politically outspoken. And even Jason Aldean, after the shooting... He was asking an interview about... A shooting in Las Vegas, you mean. Sorry, I should have said that, shooting in Las Vegas. That He's there. He sees that. He sees the kind of carnage, and he's asked about it. He's like, well, I don't want to be political. And I can understand that, because if he comes out and he says, we should limit the amount, number of guns or the, the size of clips or anything like that, he's going to get pushback. And he said, you say one thing, you lose half of your audience. You say something else, you lose the other half. And he said, I don't really, in a way, he kind of said, I don't see like the good for me 
to come out on anything. I don't know what his personal position is because, you know, that's his. But he didn't want to be a spokesperson for a point of view, even though I think a lot of people said, you in this moment have an opportunity to say something because you're a witness to history, mm-hmm. a horrible moment in history, but history nevertheless, and that you should say something about it. And I would never say that it was a cowardice not to say something. I understand that it's his livelihood and that it's his art that he's making rather than he's making a career as a politician. But I guess for me, I always kind of want country stars that I like to listen to, I'd like for them to step up and say something. But that's me. And so a lot of times I listen to people who are willing to come out and make a kind of public comment. Like like Margot Price. She's been very open, like, I hate Trump. I think he's horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a song about equal pay in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. Let's close that, you know, the pay gap. She's been someone, and that's not her only focus, but that's been a piece of who she is, and I respect that. Just like I, I have some respect for people on the other side, you know, who come out and I don't agree with it. Like Lee Greenwood. Mm-hmm. I'm not a John Lee Greenwood fan, but he does have a position and he takes it. I like seeing people who stand for something, believe in it, even if I don't believe in it, that they have conviction. Not that they have to be confrontational, but that they have something that they have faith in. And I guess that's what I want for my art. I want my art to say something not just about love, though I love to hear about love. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to also hear about hate. But I guess I would like someone to come out and to let their faith in their values come through their music and maybe also come through their public commentary. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERRA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERRA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERRA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music. It's a collection of essays uh, compiled by Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, who is a professor of English. There is uh, an essay in the book about the New Deal and the FDR era, and I know that uh, New Deal programs helped keep artists going of all kinds during the Great Depression. Was that also true of of country artists? I know it's true of playwrights and actors. Did any of that governmental intervention help keep country music artists going through this time of the Oklahoma Dust Bowl and 25% of the labor force out of work? I wouldn't say that any of those programs directly kind of reached out to what was country then. And country at that point was called 
uh, hillbilly music. Right. And sometimes it was also called folk music, too. Mm-hmm. They kind of changed that in the 50s when folk music was considered left. Mm-hmm. And country is like, well, that's not who we who we are. And so yeah. kind of country and western becomes the name for that type of music. Right. And then you, you had the Grand Ole Opry on the radio and Louisiana Hayride on the radio. Oh, too. yeah. So but it was reaching people. Oh, it was absolutely reaching people. And so those messages got out into the public. And in a way, I think instead of them being a comment on federal money coming directly to the country music performers, it was more that it came to their communities in some way. So like the the CCC and other kinds of work programs, uh, not so much for the arts, mm-hmm. because a lot of that money went to people who went out as artists and kind of captured the American spirit, whatever you might want to call that. So took photographs, uh, did a lot of field work and recorded some performers, some who were country performers, though usually not anybody who you'd call a star, but somebody who played at home. Like Alan Lomax going out and recording people. Absolutely. And his father, too, at that time, and a number of other people. And so there there was a lot of money to kind of go out and get some sense of the American people and capture that for posterity and to create other art, but a lot of that was kind of like the high art or people who were mm-hmm. uh, scholars, academics, intellectuals to go out and kind of look at the American right. people in a way. But FDR sort of made it okay for the working man, the country music fan who was the working man, not to feel ashamed of having to be on relief, at least for a time, or to be ashamed of taking advantage of a, of an opportunity to work for a government agency, yeah. because it, uh, times were so tough. Oh, ab- absolutely. Again, it wasn't so much like the money came to country music performers and then they played songs for the audience. Instead, right. the money was coming into the communities from which the country performers came from, and they saw some level of benefit <laughs> in that because there was a great need and there was a hardship. We were seeing like 30, 35% unemployment in some areas. It was horrendous and people lost their homes. They had mortgages or they couldn't afford rents and they couldn't afford food. And there was a lot of displacement because of uh, economic conditions, but also environmental conditions when we think about the Dust Bowl. So there was a great hurt in the United States and those federal programs were focused at poor people, working class people, mm-hmm. a lot of times rural people, yeah. and that has been, in large part, the country music audience. It's less true now. There's very much a big kind of suburban, urban country music audience now. So it's kind of changed, but if we look in the past, that is largely who had been kind of targeted. That was the idea who the country music audience is, and it still is somewhat today. You referenced Willie Nelson earlier. Did the outlaw movement of the 70s, Willie and Waylon and the boys, move country audiences to the left, or was it largely apolitical? The outlaws didn't seem to be rebelling against anything political, particularly. They might have been rebelling against traditional country music and saying, you know, let's expand things a little here. I wouldn't say that it was like an overt political movement, but it did kind of bring together the hippies into the country music audience. There were 
like that long-haired country boy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we, we Charlie to, Daniel song. We get to see, we get to see that, and we even see that in like a Hank Williams Jr. kind of like smoking a little weed, getting a little drunk, letting your hair grow, and so you're kind of a a long-haired cowboy. That in kind high of, school, we called them redneck freaks. Well, <laughs> there are there are a number of terms uh, that I'd seen kind of in reference to kind of that movement, and I got to see it myself in the '70s. You know, what I mean, those move from being like crew cut country music listener mm-hmm. working class drinking yeah but not smoking weed right to it moving over to more the cosmic cowboy kind of idea and so that it offered some level of expansion of in a way the stereotype mm-hmm. because there's never been just one kind of listener it was more of a cultural expansion than a political expansion largely but there was a bit of political mm-hmm. context to it because when you start saying well well, you, you'd mentioned when I said, well, Willie Nelson has not necessarily always been an outspoken kind of political person. You said, well, he, he has been on marijuana. Yeah. So in a way, that movement kind of was political in the sense that it allowed for people to kind of push against several norms. So there was the norm in what country music should sound like, but they're also pushing against a norm about what country music would look like. And sometimes that push towards that kind of hippie image also came with it some of the ideology of uh, the 1960s left. I wouldn't say it was like a giant wave, but it was a piece of it. So even now when you look at Austin, you can still see the reverberations of that connection between a a very kind of seen as American kind of conservative form country music, or I think people like the term Americana or alt country better now, but that is really the beginning of alt country. That's really the beginning of a connection between country music as people had thought of it as a conservative entity and a more liberal kind of listenership and performers too. And that meshing has never been kind of complete or fully advanced or out country music, but that's always been a component of it. There's always been lefties pushing at the edges of country music right from its very beginning. Time for another break. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research and progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, a professor of English, is our guest. Uh, The book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, and it contains several essays that uh, debunk the myth that uh, country music is only conservative or only for conservatives. Writing and recording songs with a feminist bent didn't hurt Loretta Lynn's career, but she always was careful to say she wasn't a feminist. She was just writing what she felt. 
Do you think her songs encouraged women to stand up for themselves? I think a number of them absolutely did. And also her example, she ran a giant company, and I know her husband helped her, but she was making decisions about what was going to be done. She made decisions on the songs she wanted to sing. She wrote them, uh, not all of them, but she wrote a lot of her own songs. She worked on her own image in some ways. And there's a lot of conservatism to Loretta Lynn. I mean, she came and said, I like Trump. I I think for some people, they're like, well, you can't be progressive in any way. And for me, I'm like, you can't just put somebody in a box just because of one position that she's taken. She Mm -hmm. also liked Jimmy Carter. Right. She hung out at at his at the White House. But with (laughs) Don't Come Home a Drinking with Loving on Your Mind and the pill, she was telling men there are certain things that you cannot tell me to do because I'm an individual. Absolutely. A lot of her songs put out a message of women should be strong. They should make their own decisions. Men shouldn't be dictating to them. And that's what I wrote about because I I respected that. Because in a way, even though it was, you know, kind of coming out in the late 60s, early 70s, when when I think kind of her music was at its most kind of political, Mm -hmm. that also is at the time of the second wave uh, feminist movement. So she kind of got a sense of, I think, in a way, what the movement was doing, even though she said, I don't identify myself with them. But I don't think you have to be a a member of a party to agree with principles that that party also agrees with. Mm -hmm. So even though she might not say she was a feminist, she said, I would like to be paid for what I do. I would like to be treated as an individual. I would like to have my rights. I would like to have control over my body. I would like to be seen as an equal. And to me, I would say, well, she is a feminist, and it doesn't matter what she calls herself. Mm -hmm. She's someone who believed that women should have equal rights. And I can also understand her kind of trepidation of associating herself with the feminist movement in that era because it seems kind of largely like urban, college-educated, that bra-burning, maybe kind of, anti-man and Loretta Lynn was like well that in me yeah and that's not my audience and so uh, the, the, certainly I can't be a feminist and so I think sometimes the way movements manifest themselves and sometimes that's just about a stereotype that someone's slapping on them too and yeah. that it's very unfair how the feminist movement that era was sometimes presented it didn't show the whole of the people engaged like women of color didn't mm-hmm. get to that kind of like seat at the table as much as they should have because they were in the trenches fighting for those same rights, but they didn't necessarily get to be the mouthpieces of the movement. It's almost as though people looking at country music from the outside were saying, there's no way that people of that particular culture, that particular zeitgeist, could possibly be culturally and intellectually nuanced. They have to be one thing or the other. It's either the black hat or the white hat, or it's either this or that or whatever. Individuals, regardless of their station in life, are complicated individual people. And it rings true with me that you could say that Loretta Lynn uh, believed certain things, but she didn't buy into the entire feminist package. Yeah, absolutely. How, how can you expect somebody to be like an absolute ideologue? You only are one thing all the time. Yeah. You're always progressive. The book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, a collection of essays edited by Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, who is a professor of English. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back.
The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer an interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. Jones College of Business students once again had an opportunity to land internships or entry-level positions at this year's Business Exchange for Student Talent, or BEST, career fair. Close to 50 employers turned out for the spring event in the student union, representing industries ranging from financial services to logistics to pharmaceutical companies. Here's internship coordinator Laura Buckner. BEST is our opportunity to help students build a bridge to whatever the next step might be. Many of these employers are looking for not only full-time employees, but interns. So our students are coming today to apply, get to know about those internship opportunities, which will help them as they get ready to launch their career. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.